Do you want to know how the next generation of hustlers are turning their dreams into dollar signs? I'm Matt James, and this is Riser Diaries from TurboTax Studios, where we get real about money moves being made by today's boldest game changers breaking barriers and redefining what success really means. We're talking about the rise, the grind, and all the ups and the downs on the path to making it big. Hey, Riser Nation, I hope this podcast finds you well. If that corporate cringe made you laugh, you're in for a treat with today's guest, Natalie Marshall, or as the internet knows her, Corporate Natalie. Natalie turned the universal work from home whiplash of 2020 into a gold mine on TikTok, making remote warriors feel seen, and most importantly, making them laugh. But Natalie's doing more than just flipping corporate jargon and her content creation. She's flipping the script on corporate's new normal and making money moves along the way. Natalie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. This is exciting. I mean, I don't even know where to start with you. Entrepreneur, founder of two companies, most recently added to the Forbes 2023 30 Under 30. But that's no surprise to the people that know you. It sounds like you were washing your neighbor's cars as a kid. You were selling friendship bracelets. Like what drew you into entrepreneurship? Yes. Like you mentioned, car washes, friendship bracelets from a very young age. I have just always been super entrepreneurial and I wanted to start businesses. I grew up in kind of the tech Silicon Valley ecosystem and was always just really drawn to it. So from these smaller ventures that you mentioned, car washes, I would hang up signs to be a mother's helper when I was too young to babysit. Um, And just all these little tiny ventures. I then went to college and actually started a jewelry company called Band Jewelry and have carried that entrepreneurial spirit with me uh, even now with Corporate Natalie and the advising work I do and everything else in between. So what surprised you most about starting your own company? I mean, you're already at Notre Dame, which is ambitious in itself. Like, why another company? Yes. So I think like, in wanting to start businesses and make some extra cash on the side. And, you know, I'm in college, right? It's hard to buy drinks at the bar and you're constantly hustling. And so I decided that making chokers was going to be my full-time passion and job. And I bought like a spool of suede and some beads from Michael's craft store. And I was like, I'm going to make 6,000 necklaces and sell these. (laughs) And uh, just became kind of a little jewelry peddler at Notre Dame. And that was fun. I was also working a job on campus as well. So like to diversify the streams of income. Were you one of those people who walked people around campus when they were on their tours? Oh, Matt, please. No, I was not a tour guide. I didn't have that much like school spirit enough to be the tour guide. Um, I worked in the (laughs) alumni center asking asking people for money. So that was fun. (laughs) Okay. So you're calling on ultra high net worth alumni all day. You've got a side business. You've got a job. What, what are you doing with all this influx cash? Like, how are you managing your money? Well, it wasn't a ton of cash. Um, I'll, I'll lead with that. But I, I think I just, you know, it's always fun to be able to buy my friends drinks at the bar or, you know, cut the line with tipping the bouncer an extra five. Um, but I was definitely like saving it. I wasn't you can't you're, you can't spend too much in South Bend, Indiana. So I saved most of it. Um, and then, you know, in anticipation of starting my full time corporate job. What was it like on campus? I'm just imagining everybody. I'm imagining athletes. I'm, everyone is a choker. Everyone had a choker. Yeah. 
quarterback in Notre Dame wearing a suede choker. Um, no, it was it was not that. It was um, it was small. But strange story. When I graduated, this like random mom who was starting a business. I view her as just like kind of a rich mom who just had cash to burn. Yep. Bought the trademark for band jewelry and paid me for the trademark for that. And I knew I didn't really want to continue this. I wasn't going to like pedal jewelry for the rest of my life. I was like, cool, I can get a few thousand bucks for you to take the trademark to this company that I don't see a future for. Absolutely. I'll take that. Yeah, it was, I've I've never actually told that story, but it was quite a win. What happened with that? I didn't follow. I have no idea. So if you're a listening owner of Van Jewelry Trademark, I hope you're doing well. (laughs) And did you have someone like negotiate that or were you savvy to the point where you're like, I'm just going to do this myself? I actually met with the legal department at Notre Dame to help me file for the trademark when I was like a sophomore starting the business. And then I used them to kind of help with the sale. But looking back, I wish I charged like 10 grand or 15 grand. I charged, I think like $2,000. And I was like, I am rich. Right? I'm the richest person on earth. I was so excited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to fast forward a little bit because most people that I know who went to Notre Dame end up in Chicago or somewhere like super comfortable in the Midwest. Not totally. you. You went straight back to San Francisco to dive right into consulting. Did you take any of that knowledge from, you know, starting your own company at Notre Dame into that corporate world? Yeah. So I went into consulting, um, which is a very Notre Dame career path 100%. to take. And I, I transitioned my full-time offer actually from Chicago to San Francisco. And we're an entry-level consultant. You're not really creative. You're not really entrepreneurial. You're not allowed to flex those muscles. So while I wish I could say I applied all that knowledge, I think I more so just became a very small part, very silent part of a huge, massive company. So I wasn't really taking risks. I was very risk averse. But I always in the back of my mind was thinking like, that was more fulfilling. Can I start my own thing? Can I have a side hustle? Like, how could I potentially break out of this rigid structure? Dang. So right when you got there, you're like, all right, how the heck am I going to get out of here? Not get out, but I think you view consulting as like, okay, once I put my two years in, then I can you know, do what I really want in life. And like just suffering through those two years, as many people do with investment banking, consulting, whatever it may be. Um, and then I can start to be passionate about it. And so I definitely had that, that mindset. I mean, but you've got to love the simplicity of having like a W-2 and a salary job. Were you nervous when you were thinking about leaving that structure and going off on your own? So, yeah, I think a lot of, I speak on Gen Z and I think a lot of Gen Z people always want to have a side hustle and have multiple streams of income and do all these things. And like, there is nothing more that I miss than having a W-2 and plugging into TurboTax when I was at Deloitte. I'm going to fast forward to 2020 when you went fully remote. And I think a lot of the world ended up going fully remote. What was that transition like? Yeah. I mean, like most people, you know, you become so isolated. I was traveling, I was with my team and then I'm all of a sudden in my 900 square foot apartment with my laptop and my bed and pretty much nothing else. Um, and connecting virtually with my coworkers. And I think that's where corporate Natalie was born out of this boredom mid pandemic and stress of like, I need to have a, a passion. I need to like, everyone's painting their house while I'm trapped in this apartment. Right. I guess I'll take to TikTok and make some silly little videos. And so it was a lot of uncertainty, but I'm happy that this kind of grew from that. Is there one video you could look back to and be like, okay, like, I think I could do this. So I never viewed it as 
like a primary source of income. And I think I viewed influencing mm. very judgmentally. I was like, you do dances on TikTok? Like, who, who are you? Right. Cue, cue me filming a vlog of myself today. Like, I'm so deep into right. it. Like, it's just, but now, so now <laughs> I'm just, in, in doing it, it was always a side hustle. I was like, okay, I have my full-time job and this is my side gig. And then I got kind of my first brand deal and I realized like, wow, companies can view me as someone who could market their product on TikTok or Instagram. And that's something of value. Like I never realized that that was value generating. And I think just when that clicked, I did a Twisted Tea ad. It was my first like commercial I did. Yeah, Twisted Tea, shout out. Uh, They paid me $500 and I was thrilled. I was like, oh my God, I posted the video for free on my Instagram. I was so proud of it. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Uh, Now I know you can charge for those things. Who knew? And (laughs) and it was just, it was a quick, like kind of learning curve of, okay, I can, how much can I charge? And can I push the rates and meeting with my friends who are creators and kind of picking their brains on how this world works. And uh, it was just, it was very shocking. So is it safe to say that you saw social media as more of an opportunity to make income after that first deal? Totally. Yeah. I never viewed it. I was like, I viewed it as my passion, my sourdough, I'll say during the pandemic when everyone's like making these, these things and, you know, trying out things that they would have never tried before. I viewed making videos as like my little passion. I remember I sent my first video to my friend group and I was like, I'm going to be famous just so you guys know. They're like, shut up, Natalie. There's literally no way. And it just, it kind of took off from there. And I really grew to love the process of making people laugh and making these videos. And I kind of fell in love with that process. What was that turning point though? I know that first deal, you know, wasn't the one that, you know, broke the bank, but um, there had to have been a point where you're like, oh my gosh, like this was the dream partnership. The money hits your account. You're like, this is real. I can, I could potentially do this full time. Yeah. So was doing a bunch of different brand partnerships. I partnered with Dell Computers, which was like crazy to think that they want to partner with me. It all makes sense. I was, I, I used a Dell in all of my videos and they saw it and they reached out to me. And um, doing these kind of like B2B partnerships and being almost like the first influencer that they went with, like Dell Computers had not really done influencer marketing before and they kind of took a risk on that and that was exciting. My one kind of like pinch me moment, I was asked to do TV commercials for a company called Paycom and they wanted to take TikTok to television and they reached out to me and we did 20 commercial spots that then ended up playing on, you know, ESPN, Fox, all these huge networks during football games, 20? basketball games. Yeah. So we did 20 spots. They used them on socials. They used, Dang. they ended up like going live with, I think, eight spots on television. And when I did that, I was like, you're going to this five day commercial shoot. It's so intense. I was like, this is real. Like there's a crew of 40 people watching me sit on this set and make jokes. Like this is crazy that you you trust me to go on like television. And so it was just right. a huge pinch me moment. And I think when I went for my second round of commercials, I was like, I have to quit my full-time job. I just, I, I don't have any PTO. I I have to leave and just take that leap. I love that for you. I'm, I'm all about anybody quitting a job to pursue something they're truly passionate about because it's such a scary thing to do. And you can't really see the fruits of your labor until you decide to make that. So I'm proud of you. Thank you. And finding, I think it was a process of finding the brand partners that made sense for me to work with. Of course, like when you start out, I, I feel like I was, I would work with literally anyone who would, who would pay me. I was so shocked at the whole process. And now I think being three <laughs> years in, I'm quite selective with who I work with. <laughs> yeah. So how does that selection process work now opposed to when you first started? Yeah. You know, I think now I try to do fewer partnerships that are deeper, like more of a basket of deliverables. Can I come and speak at your company and, 
you know, talk to your interns and do the social deliverables and maybe do a commercial piece or a more production setting, do a podcast like this? Like, how can we kind of weave together a diverse basket of deliverables and make that last throughout the year? And so, you know, am I using the product? Is it a company that I like? Do I like the team? And just there's a little more rigorous of an audit process there. Wow. Especially from someone who is in a similar world as you, that's an amazing way to approach the game. I love that. Thank you. I also, this is a fun like side piece and we could talk about kind of management stuff, but I'm not managed by any uh, agent or manager. I do it all myself. I hired a full-time employee and we kind of run like an in-house agency of one for me as the creator. And so I don't have to give 15 to 20% of my brand deals to someone. I am able to kind of take all of that for myself and really meet with those teams. And I think agents and managers like to create separation between the creator and the brand. And I like to kind of hold hands with the brand. I want to be intimately involved. I want to meet your team. I want to work on the creative brief. And I think that's how I differentiate myself in the brand deal process. That is amazing. Are you doing that for other creators as well? So that would be the goal is to maybe start kind of like an in-house agency. I like inspiring other creators to know their worth and know that like you don't have to sign with a big agency when you're so early on if you have this kind of business wherewithal you can maybe do it yourself and I can review your media kit and I found it actually my next kind of current business that I do is a virtual assistant company for influencers and creators and so I pair Mm. virtual assistants with creators who are maybe getting started with the brand deal process they just need that kind of inbox management calendar management and Mm. I really encourage them to do it on their own because I think there is an element of pitching and stuff. And if you you need an agency to help you do that, absolutely. But if you're getting inbound deals and they're coming straight to you, I don't see why you shouldn't be taking 100% of that. I love where your head's at. I think that more people should think like that because it's 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 sad to see people getting taken advantage of. Especially and so young. Creators are sure. younger and younger and it, it is sad. I mean, yeah, I mean, like you made a good point. I forget how young and like you're in my experience isn't most where you come from this super corporate background. I was in finance, you were in consulting, and you have um, a perceived uh, way of thinking about how things work, finances, whatever it may be, opposed to someone who might be in middle school or high school and is making six figures on social media. Totally. Uh, I think that's great advice. But now you're a podcaster. I am a podcaster. We love that. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yes. Podcasting is difficult. If you were in my room right now, you would see that we have completely rearranged the furniture. There's someone here who's helping me with the production. There's a full team listening. (laughs) Um, It is a whole ordeal. And from filming myself on my iPhone, sitting alone in my room to this is a huge jump. So um, the podcast has been great. It's been a learning experience. It's uh, hosted with Corbett Bro, a friend of mine who also does kind of corporate sales bits And it's been really excited to do the podcast and that long form content and then also see if I can grow kind of our social channels with those quick like social clips and kind of starting over with can I grow a following from zero? It's kind of a fun little test. That's tough. Very tough. Very thankful I got into content creation when I did in 2020. I think the barriers to entry Mm -hmm. get higher and higher with every day that passes. So if you're thinking about posting a video, post it now. Well, being a creator and an entrepreneur, how has that affected your approach to your taxes and what you're writing off now? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. But being a creator, um, and I'd be curious to hear your take on this, Matt, but there are areas of your life that 
actually our business that you're filming yourself, you're doing your vlog, like you're going to a coffee shop and working from there and filming yourself. Like, is that a write-off? It is actually, partially. Um, You go to a work dinner with other creators, like these things that I myself wouldn't have initially even been in the mindset to consider as a tax write-off. And it's been interesting to kind of learn that process and am I going on a brand trip? And oh, that flight, if I'm going for a brand trip is a business expense. And what areas of my life this we're in my office right now, this is a write off. And it's just been definitely interesting to learn that more hands on than in my intro accounting class where I was absolutely miserable. So (laughs) I take the fun parts of it. Why do they make it so difficult? It really doesn't have to be that like, no, I'm like, oh, I just use this credit card whenever it's business related. Great. Why didn't you just tell me that? I would have got an A in that class. I would have got such an A. I'm so good at swiping this thing. I am so good at swiping. (laughs) (laughs) What's something that you'd say you've treated yourself to having, you know, uh, been in the game a little bit now and, and experienced the fruits of your labor? That's a good question. I really invested in my apartment space. I think you'll see when I film my videos, I have my bedroom and office. They're kind of connected. And this is just, it's a bigger space than I would have ever it had if I was earlier in my career um, at age 26. And so it's an investment that I'm so happy that I made. I just, I film myself here. I live here. It's just, it's super important to me to have a really nice space. And I think it's the best investment I've made. Yeah. I mean, space is at a premium in San Francisco. It's not cheap. So and it is not cheap. No, I would not recommend <laughs> renting right now. It's fun. <laughs> All right, Natalie, 2023, you made the Forbes 30 under 30 list, which is an extreme accomplishment for anybody. And what type of doors did that open up for you? Um, Thank you so much for saying that was a huge accomplishment. It was a goal of mine for a really long time. So I'm very proud of that. Um, It's interesting with these kind of, I'll put it in the category of almost like PR related endeavors. Like you're on this list, you're on ease roundup list for 2020. I was on that list as well. Forbes for me was like a huge goal. And I think it really aligns with my brand as corporate Natalie, but does it open doors? I'm not sure. I think it's honestly just Mm. like something that I'm proud of and I can put on my website and maybe it legitimatizes me when I go and speak at companies and they can kind of intro me in that way. But I'm not sure like my career would have drastically changed one way or the other. I think I'm just super proud of that. But it is interesting as you're in this for year after year, you do have to continue to evolve and grow and have these accolades. You know, how are you going to expand your business? I started with these just very niche work from home bits and I've had to expand since then into other forms of comedy. And I think it's important year after year to look back and be like, what was something new that I tried or did? And so very thankful that that was on the list last year. Well, going from Natalie to corporate Natalie, are there any regrets in that ascension? Like, is there anything you would have done differently looking back? You know, I think you learn along the way. I, I, w- I wish I started earlier. I wish I started making videos mm-hmm. in 2015. Like, I, I seriously, yeah. this world is crazy. And the earlier you get in, as I mentioned, the better. I'm glad I made corporate Natalie kind of like a bit and a character outside of real Natalie. And mm-hmm. as I've grown, I've gotten more comfortable with merging those two and showing my day in the life and showing a little more of my personality and my friends and who I am as a person. But I'm thankful that I don't, feel like I owe this massive group of people the inside scoop of my life because that Mm. just that's a fear of mine and I things come and go relationships friends and I think those are personal things you have to deal with sometimes and so I'm thankful that that world of mine is still separate and I could walk away and if my Instagram got hacked or my TikTok got hacked I'm still Natalie and 
I live with my three roommates who I love and my family is down the road and um, that helps me sleep at night. Yeah. Worst case, if your TikTok did get hacked, what what could we see Natalie doing? Like, what would you pursue outside of social media? I know. It's interesting. I mean, I had a corporate job and I my hope is that I would go back into working in a marketing department or working on the social media team and kind of applying these, these things that I've learned uh, in doing it myself to more of a company atmosphere. From a financial standpoint, anything you would have done differently? I would say absolutely track your stuff. It's just keep track of the W-9s, the 1099s, these things, these documents that you think are completely irrelevant. If you don't have the documents to input, then you will be screwed as I was. What about your dream company? I mean, you're you're a founder. You're super ambitious. You're hands in a bunch of different jars. If you were to build the perfect company, what would that look like? I have to think of a business idea right now, Matt. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you got to pitch me. Come on. <laughs> um, okay. Dream company. My dream company would be a product or service that can last beyond my face and my name and my likeness. Um, I think for mm. me, I've gotten really Love. into fashion. And if I could start like a workwear clothing line and have it kind of stand alone and just be this awesome workwear brand of clothing that people go to to get their basics and they just know that it's kind of a one-stop shop. I don't think that exists right now in terms of workwear specific. You can get awesome pieces from all these different places, but uh, having a one-stop shop would be awesome and no one take my idea or else. <laughs> we got to get that Notre Dame uh, Trade, legal team on the, on the yeah. copyright. Yeah, trademark it. What do you think is next for the creator economy? How do you think it's going to be changing and evolving in the future? I think diversifying what you're doing as a creator is super important. So you make videos. That's great. Could you go speak at companies? Could you start a merch line? I think these brand deals are super exciting and big right now, but there will be kind of a swing back of, you know, maybe we're going to take more of a commercial route. We're not going to pay influencers as much. And just diversifying your streams of income as a creator is super important. I think another thing is using AI and welcoming it with open arms. I am like one of those people that's like, what am I going to do with this? I don't I don't know how to use it, what to do. If you can just start to kind of speak the language and use ChatGBT on a basic level for thought starters with, you know, video ideas or, you know, automating some of your processes, I think when the next generation of creators comes, we won't seem so out of touch. Yeah, the ChatGPT thing is huge. I think it scares a lot of people just because there's there's such a, a ceiling for what can be what it's it capable of doing and someone like myself doesn't know where to start and I and I feel I find myself asking like super elementary questions and I'm and like fine. I'm like yeah. using this Ferrari to like you know pick up groceries <laughs> literally that's a great way to say it I'm the exact same and start start slow then you'll you'll work your way up you talk about diversifying like how how much diversity are we talking yeah I think so. I don't hate myself to do stand-up yet. Um, <laughs> I think stand-up is not in the cards for me uh, in the near future, but I will get there for sure. But okay. uh, do maybe doing a live show for the podcast, Demoted, that I launched would be a really exciting next step and engaging with that community. And uh, being on stage with someone else is a little less daunting than just a solo mic and, and myself. All right, Natalie, you've been making a lot of moves, starting from a kid in San Francisco South Bend, all the way back to corporate Natalie in San Francisco. What moves are you going to be focusing on going forward and into the future? 
Yes, a lot of moves, going to keep moving. Um, I mentioned my virtual assistant company, hoping to expand and grow that, continuing to make content that people resonate with. Uh, the second corporate Natalie becomes not relatable is the second I need to shift careers. So continuing to focus mm-hmm. on that and really grow my audience and my following and just, you know, learning and growing and speaking at companies and meeting brand partners and uh, hopefully being on more podcasts with you, Matt. Wow. I mean, listen, we got to shoot for higher stars than that, Natalie. We, we just- got <laughs> to set our goals higher than that. We'll see. <laughs> Natalie, thank you for spending this time with us. I learned a lot. I'm sure that everyone who's tuned in is going to learn a lot as well. I can't wait to see what's next for you. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. This was great. Now give it up for corporate Natalie for being an absolute boss. I'm so impressed with Natalie's entrepreneurial success and how her passion for social media launched her into a full-time career as a content creator and her hopes for helping future generations of content creators make their own big brand deals. She's the real deal. And I know I personally learned so much from talking with her today. We have more incredible conversations coming your way. So stay tuned. And until next time, I hope you guys are on the rise. Whatever moves you made last year, TurboTax will make them count. File with a TurboTax expert for 100% accurate taxes and a maximum refund guaranteed. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. And if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button and stay tuned for more. Because on Riser Diaries, we're not just talking about major moves, we're making them. Riser Diaries is an Intuit TurboTax podcast presented by TurboTax Studios and produced by Frequency Media. I'm your host, Matt James. Our executive producer is Michelle Corey. Our producer is Lizzie Stewart. Our associate producer is Sara Naz Jadbabayi. Concept strategy and development by Michelle Corey and Jessica Olivier. Our engineer, editor, and mixer is Claire Bidigary-Curtis. Video editing by Julian Andrew Kea. 